So they took the child, wrapped the child in bands of cloth. The child was laid in a manger. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this place and this time. But more importantly, we thank you that you entered space and time and dwelt among us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength, our Emmanuel. Amen. Now, some stories seem hard to believe. And maybe you've read a book and part of the way through it, you've thought that. Or you were watching a movie and you came to a place and you thought, really? Did this really happen? When the scene seems to almost be ridiculous or unrealistic and you think, now that's not real life. That's not the way life goes. Well, we come to this season and we hear the reading of the Christmas story, parts of it during sections of Advent, different weeks, different parts of the story. And we find that there are parts of it that we're familiar with. But there are parts that still, for the person who's never heard the story before, it would seem unrealistic. I mean, for some, they may ask the question, were there really angelic messengers? Others might question the virgin birth. But those aren't questions I bring. More importantly, I bring questions. The whys to this story would be, why would God choose a poor couple an impoverished couple, Mary and Joseph, who could not even afford a sacrificial lamb to bring to the altar at the birth of their son. And so they had to buy two doves. Why would Mary have to make a trip to Bethlehem in that ninth month of pregnancy? I mean, the OBGY surely said no traveling in that third trimester. Or no room at the inn? I mean, couldn't somebody thought ahead, planned ahead, made reservations? Maybe even upgraded to a nice room with points on their credit card? I mean, I've got my questions, and maybe you do too. Some things just don't match up. We're in the midst of a series entitled Finding Fresh Truths in the Midst of the Familiar. And we're looking at different things that have become common for us in the Christmas story during the season of Advent. We talked about the angel last Sunday, and we heard some hymns related to that today. Today we want to look at the manger. It's fascinating to me. That the one who was the creator of all the universe was laid to rest in a feeding trough for livestock. That's right. I mean, how much crass or crude of a cradle could there be? A structure that was used to feed animals. 
Now, for us who have celebrated Christmas for years, we would find that manger, and, and it's kind of a peaceful sight. We'd place it on a tree or in a nativity scene, and it was part of the decor. It's an ornament, and it's charming. It's quaint. But I really wonder if Mary and Joseph saw it that way. I mean, when they saw the manger, I bet they were confused. I mean, this would be the thing that would hold their child. They remembered the angelic announcement about the greatness of this child, that it would be the long-expected Jesus, uh, Messiah, wonderful counselor, king of kings. Prince of peace, but laid in hay in a trough. I wonder if for Mary and Joseph, the manger was an image of abandonment. God, is this the way it's going to unfold? The pieces just don't seem to be coming together like we thought. Have you ever felt maybe that way? Has God ever (coughs) called you to something and you felt as though maybe, well, you've left me here when I've needed you most? I mean, think about Moses. He must have felt that way as he was on the edge of the Sea of Reeds, the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. And, And there he was, and he knew that was in front of him, but the Egyptian chariots and army, what a mighty army was coming in pursuit of him. I believe that was probably an image for him of abandonment. What now? Or what about Joseph of the Old Testament? He's imprisoned for a crime he never committed. Injustice. And those stones that held him in, that made up the wall of that incarcerated structure, it was a symbol maybe for him, of abandonment. Or Daniel in the lion's den, John the Baptist, and we could list others. And maybe you have some of those images of abandonment, where you felt as though maybe God had left you, and some others as well. Maybe it's a pressed rose in your Bible of a loved one that died prematurely. Uh, Maybe it's a note where someone left it for you, and it said, I'm leaving, don't worry about trying to contact me. Maybe it's a legal document declaring foreclosure on your home. We've all had those moments, and we've all had those images in front of us. And like Mary and Joseph, I really believe there are those moments in our lives where we say, you know, this is, what, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Difficult trip to Bethlehem. No room at the inn. Does God not know? Does God not know the details that I had planned out? Does God not know that I was really the one who deserved that promotion? Does God not know that my adult daughter wants to be pregnant, but she struggled with infertility? What is it when you go to God with, don't you know? I mean, Joseph must have felt that way. Max Licato does a good job of trying to write out the prayer for Joseph. He imagined Joseph praying this prayer. This isn't the way I had planned it, God, not at all. 
My child being born in a stable? This isn't the way I thought it would be. A cave with sheep and donkeys, hay and straw. My wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain. This isn't what I had imagined. No, I imagined family as, and grandfa- grandfathers and grandmothers. I imagined neighbors clustered around the door and friends standing at my side. I imagined a house erupting with the cry, that first cry of an infant. Slaps on the back, laughter, jubilation. That's how I thought it would be. I guess he was asking the question, why a birth in a stable? And why a manger for a cradle? And maybe you've asked that question. But it wasn't outside of a stable. It was outside of an emergency room. It was in the hallway just before you enter the doors of the courtroom. It was in a quiet sanctuary. It was walking along manicured grass at a cemetery. Why, Lord? What were you thinking? Well, the Bible encourages us that, well, it says... God's ways are not our ways. But if we wait, and if we seek the Scriptures and wise counsel, in hindsight, eventually the pieces will come together. We'll begin to make sense of it. And in some cases, it may not be in this lifetime. But God is faithful to reveal the mysteries of life. In fact, the manger is a mystery. That's what we've highlighted already for Mary, for Joseph, and really for us if we think about it. What is the mystery in the manger? I want to suggest to you that in part it is God wanting to identify with us. Entering poverty and humanity in that stable, in that setting. Now, we heard the reading of the Gospel of Luke, but in John, it's more theological, speaking of the incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God shows us. God knows what it's like. I believe that's part of the message of the manger, that God knows what it feels like. When he entered into time and space, when he dwelt among us, God knows what it means when we experience those times where it's hard to make ends meet. It said the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Or when your family maybe doesn't understand you because of your value systems and your faith. Scripture tells us that not even Jesus' family and friends really understood him. Maybe you felt betrayed or abandoned. Well, Peter and Judas helped us with that in knowing that Christ could identify. Maybe you've been treated unfairly, unjustly. Well, we think of the beating of Christ. We think of the persecution and shame. 
and the death. You know, there's something to be said for identifying with someone and someone identifying with you. And that's what Christ did for us. He was able to say, been there, done that. And because of that, I can comfort you. I can come alongside of you. And you can have peace. My mother-in-law has Alzheimer's disease. It's a cruel disease. You have multiple funerals. The disease sets the person back. They're never quite the same they used to be. You have to grieve and say goodbye to some of the qualities of that person. But that doesn't diminish the love that we have for her. And Delia is a primary caregiver for her, my wife. And one of the things she does and she looks forward to is going to an Alzheimer's caregiver support group. Uh, She learns some things about the disease and she hears some stories, but more importantly, she is with people who can say, although they say if you've met one Alzheimer's patient, you've just met one because they're all different. But at least they can say, I have a glimpse, I have a glimmer, I have a slight picture of what you're dealing with. And she says she comes out of there lifted up, encouraged, because they can identify. There's a middle-aged woman, she has a teenage son. She told me she's going to Al-Anon. Her teenage son is addicted to prescription drugs. And she says, that's my source of strength. God and that group, because they understand. Part of the message of the manger is that God entered in and dwelt in our midst. Father Damien is historically known, and his fame comes out of when he decided he would serve lepers on a colony, or in a colony, on an island. And it was a quarantined area where he would go, and no one else really would go to serve. And he helped them in a variety of ways. He, he helped them to create a school, and, and helped them with their homes. And, and what happened was that it became a place where you would go live, not a place where you would go die. But although he knew that death would be imminent for many of them soon, it was a place to die, but it was a place to die with dignity because he created and crafted with them 2,000 coffins so that they could be buried with dignity. And after spending 16 years with them and helping to feed some of them out of a common bowl and not really protecting himself, not distancing himself. One day at chapel, as they were gathered, he said, for the first time, we lepers. For you see, he had the disease. He had become one of them. He had entered into their midst. That's what Christ did for us. So part of the message of the manger for me is that Christ was laid in a manger. He entered our lives. He knows what it's like. And there's comfort in that. But there's also 
a message in the manger, and it's part of the mystery, and that is the humility that he had, and that he calls us to a life of servanthood, a downward mobility. And this almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It runs diametrically opposed to the values of this world. I mean, think about it. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote the book, The Jesus I Never Knew, and he tells the story of how Queen Elizabeth II came to the United States, and he contrasts that with the entry of Christ into the world. He said, when she came to the United States, there were 4,000 pounds of luggage, 40 pints of plasma available just in case she needed it, two outfits for every occasion, white leather toilet seat covers, hairdressers, valets, over $20 million was spent on that excursion to the U.S. Now that's the Queen of England. But what about Christ? In sharp contrast, the Son of God is born in a shelter for animals, few in attendance, no place to lay His head ending up in something that helps feed animals. And yet, Advent and Christmas divide our calendar. It begins the liturgical calendar. It was a point of significance. That humility, an act of humility. I mean, Jesus could have given us directions on how salvation would work from the throne in heaven. But He left that throne and entered into our lives and humbled himself. And so the manger, I believe in part, is an invitation for us to to have what Paul said. Do nothing in selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than than yourselves. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who took on, out of the form of God, humanity, and did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. And so the manger becomes for us an invitation for us to put Christ first, to humble ourselves, and to put others before our preferences. It's when we allow someone to come into the line where we've been waiting a long time in front of us. It's when we wave someone into traffic when it's backed up. The manger is an invitation for us to enter into humility to say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. And to reconcile with someone else. The manger is an opportunity for us to say, you know, this year I'm going to take my vacation time and go on a missions trip. It's an invitation for us to say to someone who, who's had a tough year, look, I'll do that for you. It's when we give an anonymous gift to someone that has moved through difficult times. That's what the manger invites us to. It invites us to a life of humility in Jesus Christ. And part of that mystery of the manger is this. That God would take something ordinary to show His power to do something extraordinary. That God would take something simple 
and through his power, give it something of significance. And so 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about the manger and the mystery of it. And the wonderful message for you and me today is that God still can take somebody ordinary like Tim Stephan, who is broken and imperfect and has human frailty and has selfishness, is a bent toward sin. And he can say, Tim, I can take you as as messed up as you are, as broken as you are, as human as you are, and I can do some extraordinary things if you will yield and turn your life over to me. That's part of the mystery for me. And it's part of the mystery for you. For some of you today may feel like, you know, I don't have all that much to offer. Well, God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And he can use anyone for his kingdom that's the beauty of the mystery in the manger that god came and dwelt in our midst that god came in humility to give us a way to live our lives and god has a message for us that he can take us yes us and do great things